cumulative effect. Now, those of us who are parents, who have children that we've raised or are raising, those of you who are parents, these one of the things we always try to teach our children is something we call cause and effect, right? We teach our children that if you do something, then there's going to be an effect. There's going to be a result for that. Many times as my kids were growing up, I would tell them, if you do that, I will spank your bottom. Or you will be grounded or whatever the punishment might be, right? The purpose for that is to teach them cause and effect. That for everything you do, there is a result that comes from that. That's an important thing to learn in life, isn't it? I've known people that seem like they had trouble getting this idea, right? But it's really, really important because a lot of life is affected by cause and effect. Look at that. Can you tell what's going to happen? You can, can't you? Cause and effect. That's something that's really, really fundamental to life. Some people go through life just seeming to have no idea that the things they're doing are causing the problems that they have, but they are, and they do cause those problems. We need to teach our children this. They need to learn. A lot of the Bible is written in the very same way. A lot of the Bible is cause and effect. For instance, look at this passage. He who believeth and is baptized, cause shall be saved effect. Cause and effect. Now that's not difficult to understand. And, and thankfully, this principle that if you do this, then this will be the result. Thankfully, most of us at least get a grasp of that idea. Most of us kind of understand that, you know what, if I get a paycheck and I go blow it all by Tuesday then the end of the week is not going to be good. We learn things like that. Most of us learn that. Sometimes it takes a little longer than others. The problem, though, is that a whole lot of life, even though a lot of life can be explained this way, a whole lot of life isn't quite that simple. A whole lot of things that happen in life you can't really explain by cause and effect. Let me give you an example. Y'all recognize that picture? Young people won't. But uh, if you recognize, that lady's name is Susan Smith. She was very, very famous in America for just a few days, a few weeks really. She... Uh, went to the police and told them a story that her car had been hijacked. That somebody came and took her car from her, put a gun in her face, made her get out and drove off with her two little boys, the two little boys on the bottom there, in the car. And day for nine days, every night, she was on the national news, crying and begging Please bring my babies back. Don't hurt my children. Bring them home. And she cried. And she begged. She knew where they were the whole time. 
She strapped them into the seats in her car and drove her car into the lake and drowned those two little boys. She knew that the whole time. Now why would somebody, why would someone do something like that? Well, there's not a real simple answer. <laughs> there's not a postpartum depression there's not, I mean, there's just not a simple answer to why somebody does something horrific like this. There's all kinds of theories, all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of ideas. But the truth is, much of life is more complex than a simple cause and effect relationship. There was another situation that happened near the same time. This guy's name is Ozzy Osbourne. He was a, a rock and roll singer back in the day. Some of you will remember him. 1994, a young man took his own life with a gun while sitting in his room listening to one of this man's records. He had on his headphones and he was listening to a song called The Suicide Solution. And he took a gun and he ended his own life. That young man's parents sued this man right here. Took him to court. And they said, your song, The Suicide Solution, which encourages people to commit suicide, your song caused our son to kill himself. Cause and effect. And that went to court. Who do you think won? Any idea? You think this guy won or do you think the parents of the boy won? I'll tell you who won. He won. And it's really simple and really obvious why he won. Because in court, his defense team said yes, and thousands of other kids listened to the same song, and they didn't kill themselves. So it's obviously not cause and effect. Because the way cause and effect works is like this. Gravity is an effect. I let go of that, and it's going to fall. And that's always going to happen. Cause and effect, right? But thousands and thousands of kids listened to that song and didn't kill themselves. So obviously, it wasn't that song's fault that this kid killed himself. In fact, they argued that song had nothing at all to do with this kid killing himself. So what do you think? Do you think that song had anything to do with it? And I said, well, I'd have to know more about the circumstances and all that. I, I realize that we don't have, this sermon is not going to be an analysis of this case. But what I want to talk to you about is this greater idea of something that I have boringly called cumulative effect. Okay? Cumulative effect works like this, and we see it and know it in a lot of lives. Caution. Lead hazard, do not enter the work area unless you're authorized. You know what lead poisoning is? Lead poisoning will kill you. Okay, You will die from lead poisoning. There was a big deal not terrible long ago up in Flint, Michigan where they had lead in their water. The water looked fine, but it had lead in it. And you know the U U.S. government spent 
Millions of dollars shipping fresh water up and giving away bottles of water and giving away water filters and all this kind of stuff to people to keep them from drinking that. Did everyone who lives in Flint, Michigan get cancer from that lead? No. In fact, just drinking one glass of it, is, unless you're compromised in your health already, it's probably not going to hurt you at all. But you see, when you have what they call long-term exposure to lead, it'll build up in your system. And that long-term exposure will ultimately lead to the consequence of it killing you. Okay? You see, that's an accumulation of the lead in your body. It's a cumulative effect. Not one glass of lead water will kill you, but if you continue to drink that, and you continue to drink it, and you chew on little Chinese toys that have lead paint, and you do all the other things that expose you to lead in this life, you go in there without hazardous gear on and stuff, you do a lot of that, while well, you're going to suffer the end result, that effect of the accumulation. We had a little discussion at supper tonight about tomatoes. I'm one of those that believes there's only two things money can't buy, and that's true love and homegrown tomatoes. I love homegrown tomatoes. I love fresh tomatoes. We almost every year plant tomatoes at my house. Now, we aren't much into gardening because I travel too much to take care of it, but I just love fresh tomatoes. When we water those tomatoes, you see the picture's got water going on those tomatoes. We have to water our tomatoes. Which drop of water puts the tomato on the vine? Could you tell that? You know, if you want a tomato like that, will missing one watering cause me not to get that tomato? No. You see, that tomato is not the result of any one particular drop of water or any one particular watering event but it's the result of all the waterings and the sunshine and the nutrients in the soil and all of those things go together to produce that tomato. It's not right that any one thing... One of the things that I got great joy out of in trying to teach my children this principle when they were little is we'd go in the spring and we would buy tomatoes little plants, and we'd take them home and we'd plant them and I'd talk to the kids about, oh, these are going to be good. And I'd get them up the next morning and I'd say, let's go get the tomatoes. And we'd go to the garden and there weren't any tomatoes. Because it takes time. It doesn't just happen like that. It's just a process. It's slow. It takes a buildup of all of these things to produce the tomato. Which cookie made you fat? Which cookie was it? Well, we know better than that. It wasn't that one Oreo that time. But it was the Oreos and the bowl of ice cream before you go to bed and the soft drinks and the 10 2 and 4 Dr. Peppers and the extra large fries at McDonald's and uh, on and on and on. And, and the accumulation of all those things together produce obesity. They just do. There's nothing wrong with any one of them, but all those things together produce this. 
You ever try to push a car by yourself? If it's going downhill, that's not so hard, but you try to push a car uphill, even a small car weighs 1,500, 2,000 pounds. That's hard to do. But you know, if you get a whole bunch of people together pushing, that's not difficult at all. Because you've got an accumulation of strength. The cumulative effect. Are y'all understanding this principle? Okay. Now, I'm going to show you this principle in the Bible, but I wanted to spend a little time talking about it so everyone's clear of exactly what we're talking about. When we raise our children, we need to teach them these things, and you need to know and understand that the things that you do in your life, you may not do it today and be able to say, okay, that's the result tomorrow, but there will be a cumulative effect throughout the course of your life, things that happen, you know, they say decisions are based on decisions that 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 are based on decisions. And that's really true about life. You know, we find warning of this in Scripture. He says in Hebrews 3 and 13, he says... Be careful lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Did you know that sin is deceitful? And it will harden your heart. Sin will. Now, it is a lie of the devil to say, Oh, well, you know, this is just a little thing. It doesn't matter. That's a lie of the devil. Because little things do matter. Little things eat away. I've got a picture of them pouring concrete up here. You know, when you pour concrete, you step on it, your foot will go right, back, right down through it. But as it hardens, it'll get to where you need a sledgehammer to break it, right? Sin is the same way in your life. Young people, you need to know this. Yes, you may go do something one time and you may get away with it and you may not have any real long-term bad effects that you can see. But if you keep doing it, it will harden your heart. Some of you can remember in your life, if you were raised in a Christian home, first time you said a curse word, first time you said a a bad word, remember how you felt? You were, I hope God doesn't strike me down, right? But nothing happens. And maybe the next time you do it, guess what happens? You may feel bad, but not quite as bad as you did the last time. And then the next time you do it, you'll feel bad, but not quite as bad as you did the time before. And you see, through a process of time, people get to the point where it doesn't affect them at all. Their heart is hard. Their heart has hardened to the point that they're doing things they never dreamed they would do. If you doubt me, talk to some of the older people here. Am I right, brothers, sisters? You've been places you never believed you'd be, right? You've done things you never believed you'd do. Why? Because of this process. Because it's a slow, painful, step-by-step hardening. And you don't realize it's happening. But it happens because sin is deceitful. It will deceive you. It will make you think everything's going to be okay. It'll make you think, man, this is... I know they say don't do this, but it sure is fun. And I don't see any bad results from it. 
There will be. There will be. It just takes time sometimes for that crop to show. He says in Proverbs 22, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. He says, do not hang around with bad people because it's going to mess you up. How many times have you heard people talk about the idea that somebody who's ended up in trouble and they say, well, they just started running with the wrong crowd. Have you ever heard that? You know why people say that? Because it's true. <laughs> That's why people say that. He says, don't be friends with an angry man. You know why? Because you're going to start acting like your friends act. That's just the truth. You will act more like the people you hang around with. So when you, especially young people, you're at school, don't hang around the knuckleheads. Because you're going to start acting like a knucklehead if you do. Is that an inappropriate phrase to use here? You need to be careful the friends you choose. Now listen, I understand. You may go and you may say, well, I don't do that stuff. I just hang out with them, but I don't do the, the bad stuff they do. I'm going to tell you, that's a lie of the devil. That's deceitful. Because you, you don't do it right now, but if you continue to hang with those people, you will do it in the future. He says here, don't make a friendship with an angry man or with a furious man lest you learn His ways and it be a snare to your soul. Anger is especially contagious. Some of you are old enough to remember the L.A. riots that happened when they acquitted the policeman for, uh, for beating that guy in Los Angeles. You all remember that? Some of you? Terrible anger. I mean, I can remember seeing them beating that, uh, that truck driver. You remember that? They fell out and hitting him with that brick and... Well, those people didn't know him from the man in the moon. They were just all carried away with the anger that was around. And it just, it just permeated everything in that culture and in that city at that time. We saw it with the looting in New Orleans after the hurricane that happened down there. People who wouldn't ordinarily do that stuff. They just got caught up in that. You see it in Scripture in the crowd of people who as Jesus is riding into town on a donkey are laying their clothes and branches in front of them and saying, Hosanna! And a few days later standing there screaming, Crucify Him! Same people. Why? Because of the influence of the people that they were around. I do some church work sometimes in different places. I've been up to Massachusetts. I want to tell you, Massachusetts is different. Okay, They think Ted Kennedy's greatest thing there ever was. Okay, And I'm going to tell you something. You're in Massachusetts, everybody's liberal. They are. And you talk to them and you go, how could you think that? You know why they think that? Because everybody's liberal up there. And they grow up and that's what they hear and that's what they're around all the time. And they come down here and they go, man, everybody down here is crazy. They're all radicals. Why? Because everybody down here is conservative. You know why we're that way? Because everybody's that way. And we're around it all. And it affects us. 
You need to know that this is true. Parents, choose your kids' friends for them. They're not smart enough to make those choices themselves. They're going to choose the kid that they think is cool instead of the kid that's good. Don't be afraid of your children. You're the parent and they're the child. Get involved in their lives and help them make those choices and decisions. I promise you, if you don't and you just let them choose, and they choose poorly, you'll regret it the rest of your life. I stay with a lot of different people in a lot of homes as I travel in home meetings. And every home I stay in has what I call the wall of fame. They've got the pictures. And some of them you walk in and they can't wait to tell, oh, this is my son and he's an elder in the church over here and this is my grandchildren. And, they're... and then there's other homes you go in and they never say a word about the pictures on the wall. And you say, well, this your kids? Oh yeah, yeah, that's my kids. And then the stories come out. Well, this one's on his third marriage and this is our daughter here, she's, she's a lesbian and she's living with her girlfriend out in California. And, and you just see the heartbreak. The broken life. And I'm, I'm not saying you can stop all that stuff. But I am telling you this, if you just let your children choose for themselves the people they run with, they'll learn their ways and it'll be a snare to their soul. Parents, be involved in your kids' lives. And you may not see a difference tomorrow. In fact, they may be madder than snakes at you tomorrow for you making them not hang out with some kids. And you don't have to be able to give them good reasons. You just have to say, you know what? I'm the parent and I believe it's a bad idea and you're not going to their house. That's what we have a responsibility to do. Why? Because when they go to their house, something terrible is going to happen. It may not happen. But the cumulative effect through time will happen. Remember, remember uh, Solomon? God told him, don't you marry pagan women? You remember that? Now he did marry pagan women. He disobeyed God. He married a bunch of them. Had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Which would, I think, be enough to make any man crazy, wouldn't it? But you know what he did? He married these women that had all these other gods. He'd bring them in, they'd go, Oh, I wish I had a temple to worship my God in. And so he's rich, and well, build your temple. Now, Solomon did not immediately run out and start worshiping other gods, but you know what happened? By the years later, by the influence of these people, Solomon the wisest man that ever lived, who had a gift of wisdom from God, ends up bowing in front of false gods because of the influence of his wives. I'm going to tell you, who you choose to marry, who your children choose to marry, will have more impact on them and their spiritual destiny than anything that they're going to face the rest of their lives, probably. You know, I have... Three daughters, two of them are married. One has a suitor <laughs> who is here. Okay. Uh, one of the things that's happened is my two son-in-laws, I thank the Lord for them. They are godly, fine young men. They've got more influence on my daughters than I do now. It's the way it should be. Don't always like it, but that's the way it should be. 
And that's going to happen. And if they were bad guys, guess what? They would still have more influence on my daughters than I do. You can't wait till the mistakes are made and then fix them later. You have to think about them beforehand. You have to get involved beforehand because it's an accumulation. And the effect isn't seen until you get way down the line. Uh-oh. We had, we had two of them that went there. Okay. Deuteronomy 6. He says this, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Now he's telling his people here, and he says, Listen, I want you to take my word, and I want you to talk about it with your kids all the time in your home. I want you to talk about it when the kids go to bed. I don't want you to talk about it in the morning when they get up. And I want you to talk about it when you're in the car going to school. And I want you to talk about it at the ball game. And I want you to talk about it Saturday afternoon when you're fishing or hunting. I want you to talk about it all the time. Tell them God's Word. Speak to them about God's Word. Why? Because... Giving them a, you know, my kids, my family, I'm a preacher, I can't help it. But they, yeah, dad's preaching again. Do you know what? Yeah. Dad, those things over and over. Do you study the Bible with your children? As a family, do y'all sit down and pray together? Did you know the statistics for divorce in the United States are over 50% of people who get married will get divorced? Did you know that's true? More than 50% in Dallas County a few years ago, the divorce rate was 109%. How can it be more than 100? That means for every 100 marriages, there were 109 divorces. It's bad. Do you know what the statistics are for divorce for people who pray together every day? Less than 10%. Now, which prayer saves their marriage? Well, it's not just one prayer. It's that habit, that part of bringing God into their lives on a daily basis. You might say, well, you know what? I heard a preacher preach about this one time, and so we decided we were going to read the Bible at my house every morning with the kids, and we got them up early, and we read the Bible. We did it every morning for a month, and I couldn't tell any difference at all. Doesn't work that way. It's a lifestyle. It's a long and slow process. You are building the qualities of a godly man or a godly woman into your children by teaching them every day, in and out, what God wants. When you're sitting in the doctor's office and you grab the magazine off the count or the little table there, and your kids are sitting beside you, your grandchildren are sitting beside you, and you open it up and you see some article. Talk to them about what God says about things that these people are doing. Talk to them about what God says about the way that young lady is dressed in this picture in the magazine. Help them learn God's word and God's way of thinking about their lives. 
It's a way to think. That's why the Scriptures constantly say, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Take every thought captive. It's learning to think the way Jesus thinks. And you don't do that in one week or one month or even one year of reading the Bible. You do that as a consistent, daily, in and out, constant. You know, the last slide I had a picture of a, a rock in a stream. You know, river rock is smooth. You know why it's smooth? It's smooth because the water rolls over it and tumbles it and it, it bangs against other rocks and it slowly chips away those rough edges and it rolls and it gets smoother and smoother. That's what a tumbler does with rocks. People that polish up rocks, they tumble them. Because it's a slow process. It's not working with dynamite. But it's working with erosion. You know, sin's built into our hearts. Every one of us. You know that's true. You wouldn't have done stuff you've done if it wasn't built into your heart. It's a fight. It's a battle. It's a war. And you don't win a war with one big bomb. You win a war with lots of little battles. Constantly speaking to your children and your grandchildren, the people around you. You know, I'm not a big... Hillary Clinton fan. I hate to admit that here, but I'm not. But I'll tell you one thing she said that's right. It takes a village. Everyone around. You've got a good village right here. This church. And I see y'all care for each other. And y'all talk to each other. Y'all shepherd with one another. And y'all work with one another. You need to keep that up. You need to, you need to invest God's Word in all the... Y'all got a great group of young people here. Talk to them about God's Word. Don't talk to them about basketball. Basketball, I know that's important out here, but that's not near as important as having the character of God. So be more interested in their spiritual life than you are in how good basketball players they are. Everyone, not just mom and dad, everyone, not just the elders, everyone, be involved in constantly making this a part of our lives. He says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and speaketh truth in his heart. You want to dwell with God? You got to learn to walk uprightly and speak truth in your heart. Truth, God's truth constantly to yourself and your children. I've got a picture of a dolphin up here. There's a story behind that. In Galveston, there's this place called Moody Gardens. And they have all kinds of nature things. They've got these big pyramids, and you can go in, there's a rainforest in one of them, and they've got aquariums and all this stuff. And they have a movie theater. And our family was having a little vacation, and we were down in Galveston. They all wanted to go to Moody Gardens, and we did. And there was a movie about dolphins. And so I paid their ridiculously high confiscatory rates and took my family to see this movie about dolphins. And you know what the movie was? These are the most highly evolved creatures on the face of the earth and they would rule the world except for evil humans that keep messing up their environment and their world, and if we just leave them alone, and we just all worship at the throne of dolphinism, everything would be great in the world today. And they had lots of pretty pictures of dolphins, and showed them going, eh, like they do, and talking to each other. 
And we walked out, and there was a bench out in front. And I said, kids, sit down. <laughs> and my wife went, and we talked for a few minutes about the creation mandate. That God told man to go and take dominion over the world. And that man was made in the image of God. And that man is what Jesus came to save, not dolphins. Now somebody says, don't you think you're a little overboard here? I mean, what do you think your kids are going to go chain themselves to trees or throw blood on people that have fur coats or something? No, I don't think my kids would do that. But I can tell you this, they're going to hear that message over and over and over and over and over. And if I don't take the time to tell them what God says, I may be the only time they hear the truth. And you know what? I don't think they'll chain themselves to trees. But they may, when they get my age, give money to organizations that fund people to go chain themselves to trees and to blow up research facilities and things like that. And you know what? Your grandkids are always more radical than your kids. And I might have grandkids or great-grandkids that chain themselves to trees. As they say, not on my watch. Don't let that stuff go. Speak truth. Speak the truth of God's Word every chance you get. I had a friend whose wife cheated on him. He caught her red-handed. Knew she was cheating. He called me and I said, listen, you need to try to save your home. He said, but she cheated on me. I said, I understand. And that's terrible and the, the heartache I can't fathom. But you need to try to save your home if you can. And we counseled and we worked and he tried to save his home. In the end, he wasn't able to. She was bent on running around with other men. And she ran off and left him. Years later, in talking about that to him, he said, I just want to tell you, when all that was going on, you are the only person I knew that told me to try to save my home. One voice... One voice. When you have a chance to speak truth and you don't, you might be that only voice that speaks up. You know, now that guy doesn't have any regrets for trying to save his home. He doesn't wonder if he could have saved his home. He gave it his shot. It didn't work, but he did what he needed to do. I want you to know you may be the only voice in a, a chorus of opposition, but you need to speak even if all the other voices are louder. You need to speak. You need to speak God's Word. Look at what he says here in Jude. He says, Beloved, it was needful for me to write unto you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. What that means is God's people need to speak up God's truth in the world they live in. And we need to confront error everywhere, every chance we get. And if it's the error that we're just evolved animals, we need to confront that. If it's the error of all you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart and you don't need to live a life serving Him and be baptized into Christ, then we need to confront that. 
No matter what the false teaching is, no matter what the lie or the error is, if you know the truth, don't keep silent. You know why? Because it's a cumulative effect. It accumulates. It builds. Let me show you the fundamental passage that teaches this process. Oh, well, wait, I'm going to cover something else first. Sometimes cumulative effect appears to contradict cause and effect. Sometimes there are things that seem that the immediate result of it is good, when really the long-term result of it is not good. Okay? For instance, if you're addicted to cigarettes, smoking a cigarette may make you feel good. I mean, it may make you... It may feel good. But the long-term result of continuing to smoke those cigarettes will kill you. Okay? There is no measurable negative effect for you getting a suntan. In fact, you get your good suntan, you might feel a lot better about yourself. You might feel prettier, young lady, if you get you a good suntan. And there's no measurable of bad... But I'm going to tell you something. You keep getting suntans and suntans and suntans and suntans, and there's a bad effect down at the end of the road. A bowl of ice cream may make you feel really good right before bed every night. But the end result of dialysis because you're a diabetic, I'm not saying that's always going to happen, but I'm just saying it's not good. We need to realize that we can't judge the end result of a thing on its immediate feeling, our immediate response. Okay? Now, you cannot completely control the environment you or your children live in. Moment of confession here. We homeschooled our children. Okay? Now, we live in Dallas, so I've got more of a reason to homeschool than y'all do out here probably. But we homeschooled our kids. I was one of those guys, I was pretty protective of my girls. I had three girls and then a boy. I'm not near as protective of the boy. I just took him to Nigeria. But I have three daughters. And I was pretty protective of my daughters. And what I wanted to do was build about an eight-foot fence around the back of my property and keep all of those ne'er-do-wells out of my daughters' lives. The reality is you can't do that. You cannot do that. You can't keep your kids from hearing bad language. You can't do it. I had, it was hard for me to get okay with telling my kids, you know what? Yes, people do talk that way, but we don't. You need to understand that you can't control the message that is going to come to your children while they're at school. You can't control it while they're out in the world. You can't control it from all the entertainment that surrounds them every day. But what you can control is the message that you give. And when you give that message, it needs to be consistent and it needs to be clear and it needs to always be founded on the Word of God and His truth. Because that's the best chance you have of directing them. Now here's the passage I mentioned a minute ago that fundamentally teaches this. Do not be deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man soweth, 
that shall he also reap. That's the truth, brothers and sisters. That's just the truth. And that law is as true as the law of gravity. It's true. You're going to reap what you sow. You may think you're getting away with it, but you're not getting away with it. Scripture says to the sinner, He says, Beware, your sins will find you out. And that's going to happen. You can't the, the lie that says, I'm a consenting adult and I can do whatever I want and it won't hurt anyone else and it doesn't affect anyone, that's just a lie. That's just not true. You're going to reap what you sow and other people are going to have the consequences of the decisions and choices that you make in your life. In case you haven't noticed yet or you're not old enough to know this yet, sin messes up people's lives. It does. There are consequences to these choices, these decisions that we make. Whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. You cannot go play with sin. You can't go to college and say, I'm going to, well, while I'm in college, I'm going to sow my wild oats. You can do that, but you're going to reap a crop of wild oats, is what's going to happen. You need to know that. You need to know that this life, it, it doesn't work in a very simple way. It works in a very complex way. When we first got married, my wife had never been around preachers before. And one day, there was, uh, there was a, a lady that was in the hospital way down in Dallas. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to go to the hospital and visit Sister So-and-So. She said, okay, what hospital is she in? I said, well, she's in Baylor, downtown Dallas. She said, that's like an hour away. I said, yeah. She said, well, what if you get down there and she's like having lab tests or something or she's not there? And I said, well, you know. She said, that, that's not very efficient. <laughs> My wife is pretty efficient. And I said, well, yeah. She said, can't you just call? Well, yeah, I could just call. I didn't know how to explain it to her. Because she hadn't been around it. I didn't know the right words. But the truth is, you go down there, and there's no way to explain this, but you go down there to visit, and even if she's not in the room, her son's there. And he remembers that you came and visited his mama when she was in the hospital. And when his wife gets cancer in five years, he goes, oh no, I remember that guy who came and visited my mom in the hospital. And he calls you, and you come and you study and you talk about God and His Word with he and his wife before she dies. And their child then, as she dies and he comes back into the church and lives his life, the young man grows up and is taught God's Word and obeys the Gospel and begins to teach. And next thing you know, he's an evangelist. There's no way I could tell my wife, hey, I need to go visit this little lady because her grandson's going to be an evangelist if I do. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. It does work that way. That's the thing. That's the way real life works. You do what's right. You do what God has asked you to do. And you do it consistently. And you do it faithfully. Even if you don't see immediate results. Because the results we're looking for are not primarily here on this earth. The results we're looking for are after you cross the finish line. And for a Christian, you know where that finish line is, right? That's death. That's where our reward is. 
It's after we cross that finish line. And so while we're here, we sow and we sow and we sow. Every chance we get, we sow God's Word and His truth into our own hearts and the hearts and lives of those that are around us that we can influence. Please do that. Because if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. That's the whole point of being committed to Christ, is the everlasting life that comes at the end of the race. This isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. The church is filled with people who have problems. I've got problems. I've got sin problems just like you do. Every one of us has. The church is not a showcase for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. We've all got that same battle. And so we have to medicate and doctor one another with the words of the great physician, Jesus Christ. That's been the point of this sermon. Don't, don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. But realize that this is a long-term thing. And the cumulative effect of a life of faithful service to God will be this everlasting life that God has promised us.